at Camp Good News. He was not the director then. He uh, was a Christian pastor of the week speaking there, and he and I hit off a fast friendship based on my confession that I was not the Holy Spirit, which... Um, it was good to know. Now that morning, somebody at uh, somebody at the the youth um, the prayer meeting said, "Jeremy saved somebody last night." And I said, "No, I'm not the Holy Spirit. You've mistaken me." And that sparked up our friendship. Um, <clears throat> I have uh, counted a, a, a privilege and a great joy to call him a brother and friend. He's recently become the director of Camp Good News, where a number of our students have gone and worked. Um, if you've worked at Camp Good News, raise your hand. Yeah, mm. and the youth trip went there last week. I mean, not last year, not last yeah, week. Last year. Um, and so, so there is some connection there. Um, and uh, is Pat? Pat's here. We I didn't know this. If I knew we had two camp directors here, you got to let me know. You got to let me know. Pat's the director of Camp Avenues. Awesome. And so we've we've our church has had a, a lot of involvement with Christian camping ministry. I've asked uh, Brother Charles to speak in our ABF on the topic of of the need and the methods of evangelizing children. I will give you the floor, sir. Amen. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Good. Good, good, good. Well, it is great to be here this morning. Carla, my wife Carla, raise your hand sitting back there next to Jen. Um, we are very grateful to be here. It's actually our second trip here to Martinsdale. When we were in, uh, at CEF headquarters in Warrington, Missouri last October, we made a run up to visit Jeremy and Serena and the kids, but more importantly, to come here. We have been blessed the last few years to receive groups of young people from this church at our camp, and I can report to you that I have had no issues. Are you, you looking? I've had no issues I have had no issues with these young people, and they are top shelf. They are wonderful child evangelists and a real joy to have at Camp Good News. As Jeremy said, I'm the executive director. I actually left off pastoring a wonderful church in South Central New Hampshire to join Child Evangelism Fellowship, went to Camp Good News as the executive director, and now during this year, I am uh, actually assistant state director for New Hampshire. There's an interim period, and as of January 1st next year, I'll become the state director of CEF New Hampshire. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the importance of conversion. More importantly, the importance of child conversion. I don't like turning my back to you folks. Bear with me, but I, I don't have another monitor. And you know how PowerPoint is sometimes? You're talking here and PowerPoint's back here. That never works. And so this way I can kind of keep an eye on where the PowerPoint is at. But I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of child conversion. Do you realize that children are sinners too? (laughs) You know, this morning your pastor gave a a wonderful message uh, about the church and Israel, so on and so forth. I, like Jeremy, have a library at home that is probably a third uh, filled with books uh, put out by Presbyterian and Reformed um, book company. And so at one time in my life, I wondered, gee, am I supposed to be a Presbyterian? Because there's a lot of great things to glean from those books. But one of the things that has held me back is that I believe in child conversion. I believe that somebody needs to be converted before they are baptized. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin. Father, I do thank you for these people. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here. I pray that you would give clarity of thought and mind to myself 
And Lord God Almighty, that You would help me to... um, Lord, help me to share the burden that we need to be about evangelizing our children. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, children are a blessing. Uh, That's the little Asher man right there, one of my grandsons with his dad, Isaac, on Christmas morning two years ago. I absolutely love this picture. As it says in Psalm 127, 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Carla and I have four children. They are 22, 24, 26, and 28. Yes, I know we don't look old enough to have children uh, that are that old. At least that's what we're told quite often. But the truth is that we have four grandsons, and I'm going to use one of them this morning as an illustration, uh, and that is the little Asher man, because I love him dearly. And in this picture, I see how Carla and I investing in our family and raising our children in the nurture and admonition of Christ have led to this. We should have had the grandchildren first. We really should have, amen? If we could possibly do that. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and they are so cute. This is Asher. Just a couple of months ago, we had a little bit of a thaw just after Christmas, and my youngest daughter, Sarah, took this picture. She and Asher were out puddle jumping. You know, and so she was looking down on him. Isn't he cute? He's just absolutely gorgeous. You know what he calls me? He can't say grandpa. He calls me Goompa. <laughs> Goompa, come here. Melts my heart. His mom didn't melt my heart like that. <laughs> and she's my own daughter. They are just so cute and they are such a blessing. Children can and do serve the Lord. This is a very famous picture of the boy Samuel when God is talking to him. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. And I have till what? 12.30? No, what time? 11.30. 11.30, okay. So, children can and do serve the Lord. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Some of the greatest service to God that I've experienced in my life as a pastor and as a ministry worker in church, I have watched through the eyes of children, especially through the eyes of my own children, who are all walking with the Lord today by by God's grace. They are all living for Him. Uh, You can pray for our youngest son, Rob, who is not married. We've been praying for him for years. He was the black sheep of the family. And God, by his grace, is bringing him back into the fold. And Robert is responding to God drawing him with those bands of love. And so if you just pray for Rob, we would greatly appreciate it. But here in 1 Samuel 3, we have the account of God calling out to the boy Samuel. Beginning in verse 1, the boy Samuel did what? He ministered to the Lord before Eli, his mentor. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. 
So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. And so he went and lay down. And then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Mark verse 7. It says this. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, so he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as to other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, What? Speak, for your servant hears. Samuel did not know the Lord, but what was he doing at that time with Eli? He was serving the Lord. But you need to mark this, that until, the, until he responded to the call of God in his life, he did not yet know the Lord. He was doing what he saw Eli doing. He was mimicking what Eli was doing in his service for God. Praise be to God that there was an adult, Eli, who instructed Samuel in how to respond to God's call. Children are a blessing, and children are cute, but they are also sinners in need of a Savior. And that's where we come in as adults. Let me just ask this question. How many of you, uh, how many of you professed Christ as your Lord and Savior before the age of 20? You raise your hands? Wow, look around. Okay, now, before the age of 15. Yeah. Go ahead, stick them up high. Now everybody look around. Before the age of 15, before the age of 10. What a fertile mission field, amen? You can put your hands down. What I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at the spiritual condition of each child because if we're going to understand the importance of child conversion, that is, if we're going to understand the importance of adopting the same posture that Eli did. That is, in having the children around us here at Martinsdale, and having the children in our life as they serve the Lord with us, but also being willing to point them towards salvation. As we lead them in the nurture and admonition of Christ, to see to it that we utilize the law as a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. If we are going to accomplish that, then we need a clear picture of seeing children the way God sees children. Children are sinners in need of a Savior. Now, this little guy here we call Georgie. Georgie's pretty cute, isn't he? Supposed to be looking like a typical child. But what God sees when he looks at a child like Georgie is not so much all this cuteness, but he sees unrighteousness. If you are taking notes, you can write down the word unrighteousness is what God sees in a child. And this verse, Isaiah 64.6, 6, 
we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Or as I memorized it in the New King James, are as filthy what? All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Children are also spiritually blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So not only is little Georgie here unrighteous in all of his deeds, but the Word of God says that he is blind. The Word of God also says that little Georgie here is hungry. He's hungry. What is happening to Georgie in his unrighteousness and is in his spiritual blindness is really because of us if we're not sharing the Gospel with him. Lamentations 2.19, a verse of Scripture that I wrestled with, says this, Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart. Like water before the presence of the Lord, lift your hands to Him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. If you go ahead and read in Lamentations chapter 2, you find out that there was a terrible famine, was there not? The Bible records, the Bible records that cannibalism was taking place. Young and old were dying in the streets. That famine took place because there was another famine that was happening before then, and that is that the nation of Israel did not have faithful pastors who stood and proclaimed the Word of God. Even when the children were hungry for the Word of God, when the children of Israel needed the Word of God, it wasn't proclaimed, and therefore they fell into gross immorality, and God judged them with a famine. Next, little Georgie is sick. Isaiah 1, 5 through 6. Why will you be struck down and why will you continue to rebel? Speaking to the nation of Israel, the Lord asks them. Then he makes this observation, the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. You see, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. You know, Paul told the Romans, the carnal mind is at enmity with God, is at, what's another word for enmity? It is what? War, what's that? Yes, hostile or warfare. The carnal mind is at warfare with God. There is no soundness in Georgie's mind. Romans says, how many of you memorize Romans 3.10? As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, no, not what? One. What about verse 11? There is none who understands. There is no one who even seeks after God. Little Georgie can't even seek after God. At this point, Georgie is unrighteous, spiritually blind. He's hungry. He's sick. He's also lame. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the boastful. Whoops. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. If he does not accomplish those things, if he does not accomplish those things, if Georgie is walking in the counsel of the ungodly, he is spiritually lame. He is incapable of pleasing a holy God. 
Worst of all, Georgie is a slave. The Word of God says that whosoever commits sin is the servant or the slave of sin. Why is it this way? It is this way because children are spiritually dead. They come forth from their mother's womb speaking what? Speaking lies. As Ephesians 2.1 says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. They come forth speaking lies. According to Romans 3.23, they are separated from God. Now listen to this, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Georgie is dead in his trespasses and sins. From the moment of birth. Someone once wrote these words, and I find them quite true. Uh, the property laws of a toddler. Has anybody ever heard this before? Okay. Ah, one person has. Here are the property laws of a toddler. Now, what age would you say is a toddler? Hmm? Two. Same age as little Asher Man in that picture when he's stomping through the mud puddles. Okay? I have seen this in little Asher. He is a little devil. Listen to this. Property laws of a toddler. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. And if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Wow, forget about toddlers. <laughs> Sounds like some adults I've run into. If I'm doing or building something, well, all the pieces are mine. And if it looks just like mine, well, then it must be mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, well, then it automatically becomes mine. And if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And, you know, we laugh and we joke, and there's times that Carla and I spend with little Asher Man, and, and we're playing, and he will literally take things from us. You know, and you find yourself, you know, all of a sudden you start snickering and you look away because what they just said, you know, is so wickedly sinful, but they're so cute about it. But you know what? That does not take away the fact that they need Christ. It's not a funny thing. As cute as they are, as much of a blessing as they are, children are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And not only is the child dead in their trespasses and sins, but they are attacked on a minute-by-minute -minute basis by Satan. Now, you would not think that drugs would be an issue for children, really. And probably, you know, in my day, not so much for children. They were a problem for me when I was a teenager, but not as a child. But listen to this, 296 children a day are arrested for drug crimes, according to the Children's Defense Fund. And that study was done in 2008. Drugs are becoming a part of every child's culture. And I dare say that even here in Iowa, 
where unfortunately, um, at least in the news media, you're famous for your meth labs. It's affecting children right here in your community. You wouldn't think that sex would be an issue. Yet 42% of internet users aged 10 to 17 surveyed said that they had seen online pornography in a recent 12-month span. Now listen to this. Of those, 66% said they did not want to view the images and had not sought them out. Well, if they didn't want to view them and they hadn't sought them out, how did they see them? I dare say they probably saw them because somebody left them on the computer. Or in some cases... They just went looking for a website and somebody had stolen that website's address to put up something that shouldn't be there. Studies indicate that child prostitution is on the rise. That's all I'm going to say here because the rest of what I have written I don't want to share with you. I will share with you this, that I will never ever forget as long as I live the signs that I saw, that Carla and I saw and passed by as we entered Costa Rica some seven years ago to go help plant a church. And so we arrived in Costa Rica and as we were going into customs, huge banners all along the way telling us that child prostitution is against the law. And I'm thinking, that, I've never seen that in another country. I've never seen anything like that. And so when we got home from Costa Rica, I did a, real, a little bit of research. It's absolutely terrible. It's absolutely terrible. In, in Costa Rica, child prostitution is rampant. It's just a terrible place. Children are assaulted every day. Drugs, sex. What about humanism? What? I guess I've got to hold this up. What about humanism? What about humanism? Listen to this. The Humanist Manifesto, its second time around, when it was reprinted, 1973, quote, reason and intelligence are the most effective instruments that humankind possesses. There is no substitute. Neither faith nor passion suffices in itself. That was 1973. That manifesto is just being carried out and taught from kinder, uh, actually preschool all the way through college, even today. Secular humanism can be defined as a religious worldview based on atheism, naturalism, evolution, and ethical relativism. But this definition is only the tip of the iceberg. Just the tip of the iceberg. How many of you have been in college in the last decade now, how many of you have been in a secular college? Okay. How many of you had professors who seriously challenged your faith by their humanism? They teach their humanism as gospel. Do you know that humanism is all over the internet? It's all over the television? It's all over radio? You know the devil never ceases to preach his message 24-7. We'll move through this quickly. Violence. You ready for this? 3,477 children are arrested every day and 155 children a day are arrested for violent crimes. 
Two days ago, I heard a testimony from a man who's becoming the uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship Director of the state of New Mexico. He was in law enforcement before he joined CEF. One of the things that God worked on his heart about, joy, about evangelizing children, you know why? Because he said, every day I was arresting younger and younger and younger children and having to haul them off to jail. Not teenagers, not adolescents, but children. What about abuse? Four children die every day as a result of child abuse. Three out of the four of these are under the age of four. What about cults? An estimated five, an estimated five to seven million Americans have been involved in cults or cult-like groups. Here's one that we wrestle with um, in New Hampshire a lot. And by the way, real quick, prayer request, New Hampshire is the second most ungodly state in the union. Um, it's, it's only beaten by the state of Vermont, which is right next door to us. Okay, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine are the top three most ungodly states in the union. In the high school that my wife and I attended, Kearsarge Regional, they have a Wicca uh, club. They've had it there actually for decades. Uh, and I was a businessman in New Hampshire before I went into the pastorate, and I have run into people who have said some really strange things to me. One of them claimed to have talked to my dog. Well, you know, if my dog was sitting there next to me, I'd think, that's really strange, but my dog had been dead for two months. And with a straight face, this woman's telling me that she talked to my dog and that my dog made a social decision, decided to commit suicide. I mean, listen, you, you, I, I see the looks on your faces, but th this is what our children are dealing with. These clubs in New Hampshire are growing and growing and growing. In fact, in fact, Wicca is the fastest growing percentage-wise, I have it in here, it's the fastest growing religion percentage-wise. Where is it? Here we go. Number of adherents to Wicca went from 8,000 in 1990 to 134,000 in 2001. Fastest growing. Ethics is off the chart. 83% of teens believe moral truth is based on circumstance, while only 6% believe moral truth is an absolute. This is a very negative picture. It's a very negative picture. Let me back up here. Um, Georgie's not looking so good, is he? Not only does he have to deal with his own sinfulness, but he has the external forces of the world coming against him. He has Satan coming against him. Is there an answer for the spiritual condition that Georgie is in? Well, of course there is. It's the right of every child that they be allowed to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It is a right. Do we not hear a lot about children's rights these days? We hear how children have a right to clean water and children have a right to food. Children have a right to a loving home. They have a right to a good education based on what the government says is a good education. They have a right to good health or quality health care. The child does need physical protection and help, but there's one right that the world has not considered and that right is that every child has the right to at least hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the opportunity for every child. God reveals himself to children. Did you know that? In very special ways. He reveals himself to children. Children can enter the kingdom of God 
And children believe and have the right to know about salvation. Just write these verses down for the sake of time. I'm not going to go there. But Luke 10.21, Matthew 18.3, and Matthew 18.6. In order. God reveals Himself to the children. They can enter the kingdom of God. Children can believe and be saved. And so the opportunity for every child is that they must be given the opportunity to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. When they hear about Jesus, now I'm not talking about the Sunday school hearing about Jesus, and I need to just, this is my caveat right now. Some of you may be Sunday school teachers, even though I know that Sunday school is going on other places. Some of you may have children and grandchildren. I realize that you love your children. I really do. Some of you may be doing a really excellent job in reading the Word of God to your children, reading uh, you know, Bible stories to the children, making sure that they don't look at sinful TV. Some of you might be doing a really good job at that. You are doing your very best to raise them in the nurture and admonition of Christ. But if you are not taking it a step further and pointing out to your children their sinfulness and their need of the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue them from their sin, then you're failing in carrying out the Great Commission and you're failing in ultimately raising your children in the nurture and admonition of Christ. And so I realize there are very well-meaning people, but even well-meaning people can be wrong. You see, children's eyes need to be opened. It is, the re- it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that opens their eyes and turns them from darkness to light. Acts 26, 18. The truth shall make you free, Jesus said. John 8, 32 and 36. Their steps will become sure. As Psalm 40, verse 2 says, set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. And by the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ, children are healed. They will never be hungry. That is spiritually hungry because once they come to Christ, He will fill that hunger and He will fill that thirst. John 6.35 Jesus said, He that cometh to Me shall never hunger. Next, I do want you to turn to this verse in Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And actually, you preached on this in October when Carla and I were here last. Now Joshua was standing before the angel. The Word of God says he was clothed with what? with filthy garments. All his righteousnesses were as filthy rags. Verse 4, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your filthy garments away. Here's some new clothes. Is that what he says? No. What does it say? Behold, I have taken your what? Your sin. Thank you. Very good. What else? The ESV says what? I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure 
vestments. The only pure vestments, people, that we can be clothed with is the righteousness of Christ. That's it. There is no other vestment that we can wear. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Little Georgie receives that robe of righteousness. And in the end, he is, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, and you he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, and were by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. The next verse is as true for children as it is for adults. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, wherewith He has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us what? Alive. Together. With Christ. By grace. You have been saved. And so, ultimately, the answer for Georgie's condition is what? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only answer. It's not good ethical teaching. It's not good moral teaching. It's not the reading of Scripture every day. It's not having family devotions. And all those things are good. But it's what is produced from those devotions It is what is produced by the prayers of the parents. It is what is produced by leading your children in the nurture and admonition of Christ and using the Word of God as a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ, to see them convicted of their sin. Children, repent. Repentance is repentance. And I know I'm talking to the choir. You have this wonderful theologian for a pastor, okay? But bear with me for a second. Because sometimes I don't think that we get even the simplest of illustrations. I'm walking this way. Once I was blind, living for the world, walking on for what the world has to offer. And all of a sudden, God gives me the faith to believe. I repent. And what do I do? I turn towards Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I begin to live and I begin to walk for Him and him alone. Children can repent. I want to share with you, as we close, I want to share with you an illustration of this. And I have many. But last year, there was a, uh, actually two years ago, two years ago, two summers ago, there was a young man who came to Camp Good News. At the time, he was uh, about eight years old. He ran my staff ragged. He was what we call a runner. He would run out of the dining hall and just run out across the field. Well, we have a strict child protection policy. If a child starts running or uh, anything like that, if a child is alone, how many adults do we have to have with him? Go ahead, say it. 
two. Good, you camp good news counselors. You always have to have two adults with them. No exceptions. So that means that two staff have to run out the dining hall and go chase him. Xavier was doing this a lot. He would run out of chapel. He would run out of his cabin. One afternoon, I spent 20 minutes walking with him, just walking, and he was very belligerent. I'm not going to listen to you. You're not my father. I don't need to listen to you. You know, I, finally, I had to call his mom, and I had to send Xavier home. People, it was awful. Now, I talk to you as a man who I believe fully understands the sovereignty of God in the salvation of man. But you know, the next year came around and I said to my staff, if anybody sees an application for Xavier show up, come and tell me because he's not coming to my camp. I got online and I started researching and I found a camp for very special young men like Xavier with people who have the time to chase him all over the field. Well, you know, April turned into May, turned into June. We're in a staff meeting. We are, you ready for this? Three days away from the opening of camp. And all of a sudden, Sarah Baldus says to me, and Xavier's coming. <laughs> what? Now, are you ready for this? Every registration that is done online, a copy comes to my mailbox. I, Xavier was on my mind. I never saw that copy. Xavier comes to camp. At the same time that I'm thinking, what am I going to do? We were short on male staff. And so our camp nurse for that week actually volunteered to be in a cabin. And he volunteered to be in Xavier's cabin. How many of you have been a counselor in Barnabas? Barnabas is the, uh, there you go, Zach, youngest boy's cabin. They'll run you ragged, won't they? So, <laughs> so Nurse Michael says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be a counselor for the week. Thank you, Nurse Michael. This is great. What do I do with Xavier? When I was standing there at registration on Sunday, I saw Xavier and his mom coming. And I just, I had been praying about this, people, really. Just praying hard. So I just got to have that heart-to-heart -heart talk. And I just got to lay it on the line right now. You run once, buddy. You're going home. That's it. So I met with his mom and Xavier. We're standing there, and he's just nodding, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I said, no, young man. You look me right in my God-given eyeball right now. <laughs> if you so much as step out of chapel, if you so much as step out of your cabin... You'll be going home. His mom looks at him and says, Xavier, you will not run, will you? No. So Xavier stayed. <sighs> Xavier didn't run. Sunday night, Firebowl sat there quiet as a church mouse, listening. Monday morning, Monday afternoon, no word from Xavier. Tuesday rolled around, and I ran into Nurse Michael, and Nurse Michael says, you know what is so cool about me being here? This is a God thing. That young boy, Xavier, he's a mess, but his mom has been in our church for years. I know Xavier. We've been praying for them. 
Wednesday after chapel, Xavier went to his counselor and said, I need Christ. I didn't know this until I went over for devotions that night. I walk in the door of the craziest cabin on camp. Here's Xavier sitting on the floor with his Bible open. I've never seen this kid sit still. The other kids come around, they sit down next to Xavier, and he listens to the devotions. And it was after that as I'm thinking, God, you're doing a work in Xavier, that Nurse Michael came and said, oh, God has done a work in Xavier. Xavier repented in sackcloth and ashes for his sinful little heart. Friends, children can repent. Children can believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And God wants to call them. He is calling them to himself. My question for you this morning is, will you be responsible as a church body, not just to teach good moral values, not just to teach the kids the Ten Commandments, but to use the law of God as a schoolmaster to encourage them that they are sinful and dead and blind and in need of a Savior. If you'll do that, you'll see your children come to Christ as God leads, and when they do, they get that armor of God that comes on them, and at that point, they are able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You'll see your church grow. You'll see your life with the Lord Jesus Christ grow in ways that you never could have imagined. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so, so, so very much for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for these dear folks, and I pray, Father God, that you would create in them a heart's desire to evangelize every person from the cradle to the grave that they come in contact with. Father, I thank you so much for the reminder you gave Timothy that from childhood, from his infancy, he had known the Holy Scriptures able to make him wise unto salvation. I praise you for using that verse of Scripture in my life. Father God in heaven, do a work here at Martinsdale, we pray in Jesus' name. Do a work in this world for your glory. Amen. Pastor Jeff.